0: Today's Torah
1: and T will discuss, and the portion of Bo will discuss two things. Uh, One discusses about doing work on Yontav, on the holiday, and the other one discusses redeeming the firstborn son, known as the Pidyon HaBen. They're both connected to this week's Parsha, so let's first see uh I guess the question that I ask over here is one allowed to cook on Yom Tov. On Now first of all what is Yom Tov? We know we have the three festivals, those are Yom tev, which basically the first and last day of Sukkot. Now when I say first and last day, because in the Torah, there's only a first and last day. There's no two days. So the first and last day of Sukkot, the first and last day of Pesach, and one day of Shavuos, and one day Rosh Hashanah. So basically, there are six days which are called Yom tef. And all of these Yom tefs, six days Yom from the Torah. And all of these Yom ask you the question, you know, is cooking allowed? And the answer is yes. Cooking is allowed on Yontif. On Shabbos, you're not allowed to cook. But on Yantav, you're allowed to cook. Why is that? Where is the base? So the basis for that is a verse into this week's portion, in the Possek in this week's portion. Now, the very first time the Torah discusses a Yontif, again, like I said, on Shabbos, you're not allowed to uh, cook at all. Uh, on Yom Kippur, you're not a lot of cook at all. But on Yom Tiv, you're a lot of cook. Where is this based upon? That's based upon the verse in our portion. It says in verse 16. Now, we're talking about the exodus of Egypt and how God made the miracles, took him out. And because of that, God made it into a day of a good day, of a celebration in which we do Yantav. So that's the the basis. That's what it has to do with this week's Parsha. And the Torah tells us about the whole Pesach, you know, the Seder, eating matzahs for seven days, and the whole uh, basis of the entire Seder uh, process is based on this week's Parsha. But then there is one verse that I want to call your attention to. This is verse number 16 in this week's parsha. Over here it says, And on the first day. The first day means the first day of Pesach. There is the first day, and then there is the last day of Pesach. So it says on the first day is Mikra Kodesh. It's a holy calling. You call it holy. That day becomes holy. And also, The seventh day. That's the first and the seventh day in the in-between days they're called Chilo Hamoid, Those are the weekdays of the Yantav. But Yantav is on the first day, Yom Harishov, and Yom Hashvi and the seventh day, Mikro Kodesh Now, here is interesting. The verse says, Call Malacha, all work. Loi Ye Asebahem shall not be done in them. Basically, this verse tells you no work, all work should not be done in them. So basically, we know you can't do any work on Yontif. Yontiv, the Torah says no work. And then there's a stipulation. Then the Torah says Ach. Ach means, however, the Torah says. Asher nefesh, that which is eaten for every soul, meaning that you need to consume. He levado that alone can be done to you. Basically, if the work entails ochel nefesh, things that you need to uh, eat for your uh, self, for your uh, sustaining, for your food. That can be done on Tov. Again, so this is the verse where it says on the first and seventh day, we're talking here, of course, about Pesach. That's the uh, context of the Parsha. And it says that on the first and seventh day of Pesach, it should be holy. No work can be done. However, an exception is, Ach nefesh, only that which is eaten then that alone can be done. So let me present the question to you. What happens if someone is going to fast on Yom Tav, right Right? Fasting on Yom Tav. So the question is, if one to the fasts on Yom Tav, are they then permitted to cook on Yom Tav? Well, if the stipulation is because the Torah says, that if you only eat it, but if you're not eating, you're fasting, why should you cook it? So, would seem like, no. Seems like, if you're not going to be eating, why should you cook? So, if you read the verse uh, in a very, uh, by itself, just over here, it almost seems clearly that you can't do any work, but only if you need to eat it. But if you don't eat it, then you can't. Then you can't. Um, you can't consume it. Then you're not allowed to do that work. If it's not meant for consumption, you can't do it. So if one fasts on Yom Tov, then they're not permitted to eat. I'm not permitted to cook, because you're not eating on Yom Tov. All right. So now the question becomes: Let's look in other verses. Here, this is not such a simple way. Do you have any suggestion? Make it a little bit more interactive. What would you think? Do you think we should be able to, to uh, if one is fasting? Basically, it doesn't matter. If it's fasting. What we're talking about. Let's say he just wants to cook. Uh, wants to make a, just a nice meal, but he wants, to, but he has no purpose in eating, no point in eating it. Is he allowed to do it or not? Um, anybody want to suggest? Okay, but let's do. A few more verses. Now, this prohibition, do you remember which holiday are we talking about? The holiday of Pesach, Passover. This is this week's Parsha. Again, in this week's portion of Bo, uh, the Torah tells us about the exodus of Egypt, and then the Torah tells us that we should celebrate this special momentous day by celebrating every every year making Pesach. And then the Torah tells you the laws of Pesach. So one of the laws is that you can't do any work, the first and the seventh day of Pesach, you can't do any work. But the exception is that you could do work which is for the purpose of eating, sort of so, such as cooking. So the question is now, so where is where is this Pasach discussing? This is talking about what? This is talking about Passover. This is talking about Pesach. But I told you before, there's other Yom M'tavim. What are the other Chagim? What are the other Yom Tivs? What are the other Yom Tivs in the year? There's Sukkos. You have Sukkot, The first and the last day of Sukkot. What about the days in between? No, they're okay. They're Cholamoyed. And what else? Then Sukkus And what else? Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah. Excellent. So Rosh Hashanah, that's the one day. Dora. What else? Uh-huh. Shavuos. Shavuos. Shavuos has one day too. Now, guess what? In each one of these holidays that we just mentioned, which we mentioned Rosh Hashanah, we mentioned Sukkot, first and last day, and we mentioned what? Shavuos. Each one of these holidays, the Torah will repeat the prohibition against doing work, but the Torah will not give you the exception and say, oh, if you're doing it for food, it's okay. Torah doesn't say it anywhere. Take a look. This is in the next book. This is in the book of Vayikra, the third book of the Torah. Now we're still in the second book of the Torah, in the portion of Bo. This is in the Parshas Emor, in the book of Vayikra. So over there it says, on the 15th day. Now this is again, actually that talks about repeats. Over there, the Torah lists all the holidays. By us, this holiday is just here because we're discussing about the Jews went out of Egypt, so we talk about, or the Hashem smith the firstborn, so we talk about it over here. But over there, the Torah lists all the holidays. Starts off with the festival on the 15th days of this month is Chagamatzos. What is Chagamatzos? What's the other name for Chagamatzos? Passover. 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 Good. So the Torah says the Passover festival. What happens? Shiva Yom and matzis te That means that we have to eat matzah for seven days, right? Pesach, we have to eat matzah for seven days. Okay. Then the first verse continues, verse 7. It says, But on the first day is a holy calling. And then what does the Torah say? Call meleches avoido loisasu. Don't do any work of labor. Avoda means labor. Malacha means work. Don't do any work of labor. That is, means that doesn't say anything about doing work for uh, consumption. It just says don't do work of labor. And exactly the same thing is repeated on the seventh day, in verse 8, on the seventh day of Pesach, says the same thing. Exactly. I'm just showing you. It says again, it says, don't do, kol on the seventh day, don't do any work of labor. Doesn't say anything about allowance for doing work that is meant to feed you. It doesn't say anything. It just says, don't do any work of labor. And then further, uh, the Torah says uh, in another verse when it talks about, uh, about, about, about uh, Shavuos, uh, uh, the Torah says also, don't do no kol melechas avoda lo sasu. Don't do work of labor, don't do. And again, by Yom Kippur, it says, don't do any work. Uh, then it says by Kipper, but by Sukkot also it says don't do any work of labor. I didn't I didn't quote the verse of Rosh Hashanah over here. But anyways, you get the point. The point is so the question is the target are we allowed to do are we allowed to cook on on the other on all the holidays on succ on sukk- on, sukkas, on Rosh Hashanah? Now, of course, those who run the kitchen know that on Sukkot and Rosh Hashanah, you're allowed to cook. But the question is, it doesn't say anything in the verse. So the Ramban, one of the uh, main commentators on the uh, Chumash, he says, very simple. He says, take a look. Look at the difference in the word. Over here, the Torah says, you cannot do any labor work. Melechet avoda always says, see melechet avoda, right? It always says melechet avoda. You can't do labor work. Ramban says that work for eating is not considered labor work. He's basically saying that when the Torah says you can't do labor work, the Torah never included work you need for your consumption, that you need in your kitchen, that you need to eat to, that was never included because that's not called labor work. That's not labor work. Labor work means like working hard, working in the field or doing... Those are labor work. But in the kitchen, to cook and to prepare for the Yom that's not called labor work. So, Basically, it seems like from the Ramban, there is two, the Ramban says there's two categories of work. There is work of labor, and then there's work for eating. Those are two separate categories of work. The Ramban says, therefore, in all of these other verses, it doesn't even have to say that you're allowed to do work for cooking, because the Torah only prohibits work of labor. It doesn't include the work for eating. So the Torah doesn't have to say, oh, you're allowed to cook for eating, or work for eating. It's unnecessary, because it's never been prohibited. Now look how interesting. If you look in our verse, in the Chumash, in our Parsha Bo. Over here it says, kol malacha, all work. It doesn't say labor work. Here the Torah says, kol malacha. Malacha means work, all work. If you say work, you can't work. That includes whether it's work, labor work, or it's for cooking work. It includes everything. So therefore, the Torah has to stipulate and say, oh, wait a minute. But if if it's something which is eaten for the, you need it for food consumption, then you're allowed to eat it. But in the other verses of Adir it doesn't say work, you can't do work. It says you can't do labor work. So if you can't do labor work, that doesn't include woodwork in the first place. So we don't have to make a stipulation and say, oh, but you could do work for cooking. Of course you can do. Because work of cooking is essentially a different category. The Torah never told you that you're not allowed to do it. Torah doesn't tell you not to do it. Because the Torah, in all the other verses, the Torah just says, don't do labor work. So it doesn't include work for cooking. So the Torah doesn't have to permit it if the Torah never prohibited it. Only in our verse, in which the Torah says, all work can't be done, oh, all work, doesn't say labor work over here, which is the word that means labor, avodah. Over here it doesn't say, malacha avodah, it says work. Since it says work, then we have to tell you, oh, you can't do any work? No, no, no. If it's, then you could do it. Now, so we have work of labor and work of eating. Okay, so remember what was the question that we posed before? Is one permitted, what was the question that we had? Is one permitted to um, to go ahead and um, is one permitted to cook on yom if you're fasting? Are you allowed to just Do the work if you're not eating. Can you do the work? For preparation to break the fast, I believe you can. Hold on one second. Why, For himself, you mean? For for himself? For the family. Oh, okay. So, in other words, my question is, you're preparing the food, you're cooking on on yantav, but you're not going to use it on yantav. You have no reason, really, to use it on yantav. Are you a lot of... In other words, like this. Can you just boil up water on Yontav without without using it? Is that okay? So it depends. If the work involving eating was never prohibited in the first place, right? Because we were saying the Torah said you can't do labor work. The Torah didn't say that you can't do work. It said you can't do labor work. So if the work involving eating was never prohibited, then even when fasting, you can cook because it's a type of work. Cooking is a different category of work. There is a category of labor work and there's a category of work for eating and cooking has never been prohibited. So we don't really care whether you're using it for eating or you're not using it. We're just saying cooking is okay. You can do it. But, if on the other hand, we're going to say that the work was prohibited, you're not allowed to cook at all. But, we are permitting it because the joy of Yom overrides the prohibition. So, let's see, the other approach would be like this. The Torah realizes cooking fresh is the way to go. Now, especially in the olden days, there was no refrigeration. People didn't put stuff in the freezer and didn't leave it over for a long time. And, you know, there was nothing like a a fresh, a fresh meal, you know, just out of the oven. That was part of the enjoyment of Yom Hashem wants us to enjoy Yom It's not like, oh, cooking doesn't matter because you're not really doing anything, you're just cooking. No, no. Cooking is work. But the Torah says, look, I want you to enjoy the Yantav. And I know in order for you to enjoy the Yantav, you have to cook. Because cooking on Yantav is going to give you joy because you're going to have a fresh meal. So then the Torah says, you know what? The joy of Yantav overrides the prohibition. So in that case... If you're fasting, you're not allowed to cook on Yantav because hey, you're not enjoying. The only reason the Torah allowed you to cook was because the Torah said, okay, go ahead and enjoy the Yantav. But. Why would you, why would you sure. fast on Yantav? Good question. So, first of all, this is a hypothetical question. So, I want to ask you this. Uh, like, you know. Your husband, you know, knows he has his chores to do, but the rabbi calls him for the minion. Okay, so he calls for the minion. So you say, the spouse says, "Okay, you're gonna go to the minion." I let you go. Go to the minion, and then he says, "Okay, she she gave me she let me go. I can, she she exempted me from my chores now. Yes, I'm gonna go out." I'm going to go to the grocery store and I'm going to get myself a coffee. So, say, hey, wait a minute. No, no, that wasn't. You were excused because you were going to go to shul to make the minion, You're going to dab it with minion. You were not excused to go to the coffee shop. So, to understand the metaphor, and fasting is only an example where you're not using what you're cooking. Whatever the case is, that's a good question. But I was just giving, this is just giving it as it an example saying, you want to cook without using it. So, yes, you got excused uh, to go to the minion, but that doesn't mean that you're really excused. So, when the Torah excuses you and says, oh, if you're going to cook for Yontiv, then, okay, we will allow you to uh, do it on Yontiv, because we want you very much to have a joyous yontif, we're going to let you cook. But if you're not going to eat it, not fasting, but just give you an example, if you're not going to eat it, why desecrate the yontif? Then you can't desecrate the yontif. But let me give you another example. What would happen that you have an agreement with your spouse? He says like this, you know, between two and three is my time. Okay. So then you're going to say, with, to begin with, two or three, then you can do whatever you want. You want to go to shul, go to shul. If you want to go to the corner store, go to the corner store. Do what you want. But if the Torah said that cooking is not a work, it's not really work, so then go ahead and cook, even if you're not going to eat it. It's not that you're overriding the yontiv, it's to begin with not uh, applicable, because the Torah said this is a separate category. Work of, for eating isn't included in the work for labor, so it's something totally, it's something totally different. So and Since you're not going to eat, then working is in vain. Okay, but if there is no prohibition against cooking, and let's say, uh, are you allowed to, uh, if you're not going to eat it, yeah? Okay, are you allowed to take out the food from the cabinet and put it down on the table, even if you're not going to eat it? Let's say, are you allowed to take the food out of the cabinet and put it down on the table? And you're not going to eat it. Am I allowed to do it on Yontov? No. Why not? Why shouldn't you be allowed to take food from the cabinet and put it on the table? That's certainly not a job. That's not a work. It's not work to take out... Huh? It's only if you're going to eat it for that day that you can prepare for that meal. Or that no. holiday. Well, well, no, I want to I want to I wanna see the way it looks on the table. Or I want to clean out my cabinets. No, there's... There, there's no, and also this this whole idea of preparing, is an extension. We're talking about for the, the 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 halacha itself. No, but the thing is, there are certain things that are not considered jobs at all. Even on Shabbos, are you allowed to on Shabbos take out things from the cabinet, and put it Yes, that's not that's not one of the thirty nine malachas. Okay, we have thirty nine prohibitions on Shabbos. Taking things out of your cabinet and putting it on the table. It's not one of the 39 Malachas, so it's okay. Now, cooking on Shabbos is prohibited. Now, what we want to know on Tov, when the Torah said that you can cook for the meal, does it mean, oh, cooking for a meal is not part of the 39 work? Cooking for the meal is in such a category that the work for eating, it's probably, it's not at all, it doesn't even, it doesn't count as a, uh, as work. And therefore, it's no different than taking things out of, as far as, it's a different category. That's the question. The Ramban, the way we explained, he seems to say, so that when the Torah says, "Call malachas it says always, labor work, don't do labor work. What is the Torah telling you? It. Don't do labor work. Okay, if you want to do cooking work, okay, go ahead and do it. It's not been prohibited ever because it's not considered labor work. That's considered anyway. Or, on the other level, it would be no. Work is work. Whether you're cooking or you're doing labor, it's all work. But, the Torah says, no, no, I wouldn't allow you just to cook. But only if you're doing it because you want to enjoy the yantiv. It's so important for me to enjoy the yantiv. The minion is so important that I'm going to let you do it. But I'm not just letting you off just to go. You have to use it for what's its intended purpose, for what the you were excused. The Torah excuse you cooking only if you're actually going to cook, but not if you're not going to cook. So the way uh, the way the Rebbe explains, the Rebbe explains in the Sikha, the v- words, the words of the Alta Rebbe, he explains like this. The Rebbe explains actually, because our verse is the first verse, this is the first time in all of the verses I brought down before, the first time that we find about anything that is to do with Yomtif. So in the very first verse that the Torah talks about it, the Torah basically laid down the rules. Over here is the first time in our parsha the first time. The Torah over here laid down the rules. And the Torah to- tells you, the Torah tells you clearly, call melochallay. What does this mean? All work. Actually, the Torah is very specifically coming to tell you, nope you cannot do any work. Whether it's labor work, whether it's work of cooking work, it doesn't matter. There's no difference. That's why the Torah writes it in a way, specifically saying the very first time, don't do any work. And then the Torah clearly states, however, I'll give you an exception. We'll override, we'll push away this prohibition If you're going to cook it for food, I'm going to let you do it. Not that I'm going to say there is no prohibition. I'm going to let you do it because Hashem says to me it's so important that you enjoy the yomtev that even something which I just said you shouldn't do, komolacha, everything. But you know what? Go ahead and enjoy your yomtev. I'm going to let you do it. I'm going to let you do it. Because that's the most important thing for me is that you should be able to have a good yontif. Now, later on, as we learned already the principle, so the Torah doesn't have to repeat the principle again and again. We already know. We already know. Over there, the Torah just, not that there's no two different categories. The only thing is, there is an allowance. This is the way the Rebbe explains the Alter Rebbe. There is an allowance when you need to cook. Uh, gives us the guidelines that everything is prohibited, and the work you need to do pushes away the prohibition. Once you're cooking, however, so now that we allow you, we allow you a little bit more than just cooking. You know, even though we're saying we pushed it away, but we say you are allowed to. Cook even more than you need. So let's say you can cook a full pot, right? If you're just cooking already. Or, you know, on Yom Tov we carry. Carry is not cooking. How come we carry on Yom Tov? So then, the way the rabbis explained it, once the Torah said that the joy of Yom Tov is what is so important, the Torah says things that bring you joy on Yom Tov. As long as there is some joy in Yontav, you can override. Now, that doesn't mean you can do everything on Yontav. Those things that you need to like things that you can prepare before Yontav. So there's a lot of rules that you can't do on Yontav. But the basic principle over here is, once the Torah says that because it's something that gives you pleasure, and the Torah says giving you pleasure is so strong, that yontav is so important that I'm going to override the prohibition, then we already extend that override to include not only cooking, but carrying, as well as other things that will make your life easier for yontav. That'll make it because the Torah wants you to enjoy the yontav. It's a very, very powerful lesson over here as Rabbi learns from this. How important being besemcha, being with joy. The idea that the Torah will allow to override its own prohibition just because it's going to give you joy, tells us how important joy is for HaKadosh Baruch how essential it is how Hashem wants us to be always happy. We know that happiness is an integral part of our service to Hashem. Especially, you know, by Chasidim, they always are simcha. They sing and they dance. They clap their hands. They sometimes do it loudly. Why? Because when you love Hashem and you doing and you feel that the mitzvahs that you do, your connection to Hashem is a privilege, so then you're b'simcha, then you're joyful, then you're happy. If someone is... Uh, upset that doesn't show he's almost uh, shows a lack of of gratitude to Hashem. you know you, you know people sometimes you know you come in contact with them and you know you say hello to them and they say mm-hmm, you know they don't they barely answer you with a quarter mouth they don't even respond to you and they show you that oh, we're not happy you know we're not I'm miserable you know yeah sometimes but people who appreciate what Hashem has given them and what Hashem has given them life, they know that it's important to be happy. They know it's important to be with someone. Now, of course, uh, my father, may he rest in peace, used to tell me all the time that the main important thing in life is to be happy in life. That's what he said. That's the... People think money is happiness. The other people think that... Uh, other material needs. No, but the most important thing is happiness. The question is, how do you achieve happiness when sometimes you have struggles? That's another challenge, how to come to the level of happiness. But here the Torah tells us, I want you to be happy. I want you to rejoice on the holiday. Of course, these are special holidays, so we want to be rejoicing. But it tells us all year round, because we know the holidays are supposed to inspire the rest of the year. The Hashem is telling us, very, very important for me to see you happy and see you excited because that shows me that the Tov, that special day, why are we celebrating Pesach, remembering God's miracles, He saved us, He took us out of Egypt, He gave all the plagues to the Egyptians and He was so kind and so good to us. So if we rejoicing in the Tov, and the same thing is for other Tov. Whether it's sukkahs, we're celebrating the exodus of, of, of uh, the, the, the Hashem set us in the sukkahs, etc. But the simcha is important, and that's why Hashem says, you know, I made a prohibition against doing work on Yantav, but if that is going to bring you simcha, bring you joy, that's so important, I'm going to override it. Okay, so that's, that's one point, and that's the idea of bringing in simcha to your life. We'll go out to another chapter in the, uh, another thing in the uh, in the Parsha, which is uh, and this is also, uh, this is in the, in the value in volume 11, this is the second Sikha over there. This talks about the redemption of the firstborn son okay so it talks about the redemption of the firstborn son now anybody know why we redeem our firstborn sons does that have to do with the Akeda at all okay another try one more try anybody know why we would specifically redeem our firstborn sons well um God passed over the Jewish children at Passover and only killed the firstborn of the Egyptians. Excellent. So So in order to celebrate the fact that the Jewish firstborn were saved, right? So therefore, Hashem gave us a mitzvah, a special commandment that we should uh, that we should we should uh, redeem the first, the firstborn, uh, the firstborn sons. That's the way we say to Hashem, you know what? Thank you that you have, uh, thank you that you have uh, saved our our firstborn. So here the Torah says not only the firstborn, because you know of the male of the of the people of the humans, all the first of the animals also. The Ebrister told us Peter Chamor uh, the first uh born of the donkey a donkey's first born you have to redeem it for the sheep you know in Israel they make a big deal with they showed it on there was a video some several years ago they called this the pigeon Peter Chamor Chamor means what a donkey Petar chamor means the opening of the womb of the donkey. And the Torah says now, normally it has to be a kosher animal that the firstborn is brought as a sacrifice. But there's one exception, the donkey, even though the... but you can't bring a, uh, 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 a donkey on the mizbeach to the Beis so you redeem it. But in any event, I don't want to get involved in too much laws here, but the Torah says, "V'chol b'chayr Adam tivda. that you got to redeem your first son. You have to redeem. Now, has ever anybody ever been at a pigeon haben? A pigeon haben. When do you do a pigeon haben? A pigeon haben is not as common as a bris. Why? First because Levi don't have to be seeing their children. That's one good answer. And what's another answer? It's only the first one. Only, only the, the first, first one. one? It's only the first one. Every male boy is going to have a circumcision, right? Only the first one. And if it's a Levite, and if it's a girl that was born first, a Kohen, a Levite, they don't do pigeon pen, right? So it's not as an often occurrence. So we don't find ourselves going to too many pigeon events. Okay, but the Torah tells us after 30 days, over here it doesn't tell us 30 days, but the Torah just gives you the general instructions that the first born of your son you should redeem. So, my question is you know, a lot of people come from homes that the parents are not religious. And you know, a lot of times, even parents that are not religious they'll make sure the kids get a bris. They try it. That much they do. Okay? So they make a brit milah, they do. They want them to be part of the circumcision in the covenant with Avraham Avinu. They do a brit. But most of the parents, if they're not religious, don't even know about a Pidjan haben. They never heard about a pidgin haben, So they don't even know what a pidgin haben is. So what happens when they don't know about a pigeon Ben? For sure they don't do it. Because they don't know, they don't know about it. So how are they going to do it? Now you know the trend that there's a lot of families who are, may not raise their children uh, religious, but then the children go ahead and find Hashem and find their religion on their own. So now, this boy who became religious, or we call it in Yiddish, he became Frum, yeah? He became religious, became Frum. So now, he says, Papa, he says, I'm an only son, right? So I'm the firstborn. Did you ever do a pigeon aben for me. He says, what? What's a pigeon aben? So, father didn't do it. So what are we going to do? What is this boy going to do now? He's an adult now. He turned 45 years old and he found out that his father, when he was 30 days old, never did a pigeon aben. And 45 years later, He comes to the rabbi and says, Rabbi, I never had a pidgin aben. Does the Kohen own me now? I mean, what am I going to do? Because the pidgin aben technically means that the Kohen, you have to redeem your son from the Kohen. You give the Kohen five shekels and he gives you the son back. But in this case, my father didn't redeem me, so I still belong to the Kohen. So let me find the Kohen and let me roll up my sleeves and let me go start working in the house over there, cleaning the house of the Cohen because I belong to the Cohen. What happens? No, no, no. You don't belong to the Cohen, but you do. The law is that you still have to redeem yourself. So what happens if the father does not redeem you and you find out? So what do you do? You need to redeem yourself when you become an adult. How do you redeem yourself? Can somebody tell me? Go to a big dinner. You go to a kohen, and you give him five shekel, just like the father would do when you're a baby. You give five shekel to the kohen. I mean, and you say a little prayer there. You make a bracha, but you know you do the pidyon haben. I mean, there's a uh, there's a process there. Shechianu? Not yes. I mean, there's, but. Doing a mitzvah. Pidyan Abed. If the father didn't do it, you do it yourself. How do I know that the father does it? How the son should do it? Maybe the Torah says to the father, here, look what it says in the Pasuk. Vichol Bechoir Odom. What does Bechoir Odom mean? The firstborn in the humans, Bivanecha in your sons tifdeh you shall redeem who's you shall redeem who's redeeming it the father, father. so is, there's nothing about a son what if you didn't do it you didn't do it what happens if the father didn't eat matzah on Pesach is he gonna eat matzah on Purim I mean Purim comes before Pesach Next to Purim, what is he going to do if he didn't eat matzah on Pesach? You're going to eat on Pesach Sheni. I mean, a carbon. you can bring Pesach Sheni. Okay, you didn't do it, you didn't do it. Where do you see in this verse that the Torah just says, you shall redeem. Where do you see in this verse that if the father didn't do it, the son should do it? Where does it say? Oh, now you see every word in the letter in the Torah is exact. Here it says, V'choyl Adam. Every, what does it mean, all? What is all? Not only the Father, this all, our sages interpreted, the Jerusalem Talmud interpreted, that means you have to interpret all redeem. Whether it's your Father redeems you, the word all is including, is coming to include that also... If your father didn't do it, you do it yourself. Okay. So you do it yourself. So you do it yourself, and you go to the court and you do it yourself. But now, as it happens in many families, you know, after the children become religious or a child becomes religious, sometimes they bring their parents along with them. Actually, the verse says, Return the heart of the fathers through the children. And many, many families, I know, the kids were the one that took the first step, and they got involved in Yiddishkeit, and the parents followed along. So, now you have the so, father and the son, they're both from And they're both learning together in yeshiva and they're learning about Yiddishkeit, about Torah and mitzvahs. And the rabbi, they're learning the Parsh's boy, and the Parsh's boy in the class, the rabbi gives a class, he says, all your first son you should redeem. And the father said, is this what, only uh, in Mishraim? No, no, no. Is it only when the base Hamikdash? No. What? Now, today, you gotta... Redeem your son. Oh, he says, Rabbi, I never did a pidgin haben." Oh, we must do the pidgin haben now. Okay? Now you make a a pidgin aben, the question is, who makes the brach? Whose mitzvah is it? Okay, here again. What happens, the father changes his mind after his son is an adult who gets the mitzvah? Which means now there is a fight between the father and the son. Who gets the mitzvah? You know, they say that there was in, once in a city, there was this famous miser who everybody despised because he was like a miser. He never gave a penny for tzedakah, he never helped anybody, or so people thought. And when he passed away, the rabbi of the shul. Uh, said, uh, I'm closing up my class. We're all going to his funeral. And everybody was surprised. He was the miser. He was a hidden, uh, righteous person. He didn't want anybody to know. They thought he was a miser. And the rabbi related various uh, din Torah, that was courts that came between this miser. And in all the cases, without going into the story, this miser, you know, they were fighting, not over... Most cases would be, everybody says it belongs to me, it belongs to me. But each one's saying, no, it doesn't belong to me, give it to the other person. Here, mostly we're used to people fighting over money and things, everybody's trying to get a hold, but here, they're fighting whose mitzvah is it? Which means, whose mitzvah is it? Who of these people is the father entitled to make the bracha? Or is the son entitled to make it? They come to the rabbi, they are saying, rabbi, supposed to be a smart man. Now, we have a boy chick over here. This boy chick is 45 now. And he hasn't had a pigeon of bed. And he doesn't want to move into the Coyen's in house now. He has a family of 12 kids on his own. And he doesn't want to move into the Coyen's in house. So what do we do? We have to redeem him. Oh, the father said, Okay, let's take the five shekels and we'll redeem him. Says the son, wait a minute, at this point, you had a chance. When I was 30 days old, it was your turn to redeem me. You didn't do it. Now it's my turn. No, don't do it. Who has the right? So the question really is, whose mitzvah is it in the first place? If we should say it's the father's mitzvah, Right? Father's mitzvah. Yeah. So then, if it's the Father's mitzvah, I mean, we am going to run out of time, so I won't try to make it. If it is the Father's mitzvah, so then, just the fact, the Torah says, okay, the son, if it wasn't done, he should do it, the son. But why should the father lose his mitzvah if to begin with it's the father's mitzvah to redeem his son. So that mitzvah technically should go on for as long as he has his son he has to do the mitzvah. If he didn't do the mitzvah at that time as long as he has the son he has to do the mitzvah. If I owe someone money as long as I didn't pay back the money I own the money. You know? If I owe Hashem a mitzvah of redeeming my son. It's my mitzvah to redeem my son. So therefore, as long as I have a son, it's my mitzvah. I'm entitled to that mitzvah to go ahead and redeem my son. Now, if I didn't do it, then the Torah said, okay, in that case, let him do it himself. But if it's... So in that case, it would be the father's mitzvah. But if we shall say, no, the mitzvah is for the son to redeem himself. But since it has to be done at 30 days old, he can't do it. So the Torah said to the father, step in until the boy becomes an adult that he can do himself. Yes, until the boy is an adult, we didn't give you the mitzvah. The mitzvah is the, individ, the mitzvah is the son's mitzvah. He has to redeem himself. But if you're doing the mitzvah in the right time, you become the son's agent. At the age of 30 days, you're the agent of the son. I want the firstborn to be redeemed. And the Rebbe bases these two possibilities. And the Rebbe excites with the babli against the Yerushalayim, not going to have time to go through that, but the Rebbe basically says in our Talmud, uh, the way we said, it's really the father's mitzvah. Because that's the way it says in the Pasuk, I showed you. In the very first Pasuk where it talks about, it says a father has to redeem his son. It doesn't say anything according to the Babylonian Talmud. It doesn't say anything over here about redeeming yourself. Only later on in the portion of Korach, there's another verse, which the Torah says, if the father didn't redeem it, then redeem yourself. But the mitzvah never leaves the father. What does the Rebbe bring for that lesson? Listen, we are Hashem's children too. You know, if God tells us to do a mitzvah, that He has to redeem His firstborn son, then God does it too. As God told Moshe Rabbeinu, He says, go tell Parod. Take my oldest son, bnei b'chayri Yisrael, and let him go. My oldest son, Israel, is called the oldest son of Hashem. So if Hashem tells us, and the Rebbe goes along, it's not the children's obligation to redeem himself, but it's your obligation. It's Hashem's. It's the father's obligation. It's Hashem's obligations throughout to redeem us. When our father sees how much we struggle and all the challenges that we have. And we try to do things right, but it doesn't always work. So we say to Hashem, we're your firstborn son, you have to redeem us, you have to help us. Just like Hashem saved the firstborn at the time of Israel in that plague, we are all of His firstborn children, the Israel. This is a mitzvah on the Father, the mitzvah is on the Father, that the Father is obligated to take us out from the exile. Now, until the time uh, that the Father does, we're going to keep on praying to Hashem. And as we spoke last week, I believe, about the fact that we have to stay connected to Hashem and always tell Hashem, You are our Father. And because you are our Father, we need your help, and of course, just like Hashem uh, took us out of Egypt, in the big sense, Hashem also takes us out from our little Egypt. Because Egypt, in essentially, means in a difficult spot. We find ourselves between a rock and a hard place. You know, we, the Yetzirah were encompassed and we're struggled and we're challenging. And we're challenged, and we try to overcome. Hashem redeems us, Hashem frees us, especially as we're reading now the uh, and This Shabbos is coming up, the yortzite of the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, and it's also the day that the Rebbe ascended, became the Rebbe. And we know that one of the main themes that the Rebbe worked for was to bring Mashiach, the Rebbe worked very hard to fix the world, and the world to become uh, a place where uh, all people will see and recognize and want to be with Hashem, so reading this portion of of redemption uh, reading this portion of Bo, and then going to Beshalach, which is Kriya Syamsu, these are great times for our own redemption in our times, we hope with the coming of Mashiach Tzidkeinu Meirah V'Ameinu Amein